know, there's a profound move of the Spirit on the earth right now. It's a quiet revival. A deep heart challenge that's drawing people back to the centrality of Christ. It's not this sexy, like, you know, explosive thing that's taking place and people are like, whoa, you know, hurry, go to the crowds. It's this deep thing that God's doing. He's challenging hearts. He's challenging purity. He's challenging devotion. You know, when Josiah's preaching, he said, it's a really exciting season. And Steph turned and said, yeah, it's a really hard season. It's tough. God is really, it's a challenging, very difficult time right now. It's hard, you know, and it seems simple that God is challenging people, drawing them back to the simplicity of Christ and the authenticity of how that's lived out. It seems simple, but it's not so simple because it involves these deep, hidden motives of the heart in all of us, and he's after them. So I was saying it's, it's simple, but not that simple because it involves the <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's nice to have people who care for you and everything and bring you water. They were ready to, it appears. <laughs> it's so convenient. Um, you know, just, just for the, the heck of it, right? Steve, come on up here. Like, why, tell me why you brought me water. Were you coughing? And so <laughs> just thought I'd do something good for the Lord. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Josiah, like, you know, what's the deal? Why did you bring, why did you bring me water? Truthfully? Yeah. Okay. Well, I love Jesus, and he super loves you too. So I, I wanted to bless God and bless you and express the love of Jesus to you. Give you a cup of cold water. I want to get some cha-ching in heaven too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Steph, why did you bring me water? Because I wanted to be noticed by you. Oh, baby, you were noticed. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce says this is how we do it. Well, you know, I'm just wondering, like, why other people didn't bring me water. Like, I don't know, Kurt, why didn't you bring me water? Well, I was coughing. Well, no, I saw you coughing. So, and I, I recognize that. And I'm like, I had this thing inside. And I'm like, in my healing process with the Lord, I learned that I do so much out of recognition and just performance-based. And I thought, you know, I didn't want to draw that attention to myself. Oh. Okay. I can understand that, bro. You know, breaking that performance mentality and all. 
Um, I don't know, Sarah. I'm just picking some people that are like, uh, where is Sarah? Sarah, like, well, I, I just want to know why you didn't bring me water. I, John, <laughs> I, I don't like being in front of people, and now you've put me on camera, and I'm very uncomfortable. Like, I, I, I love you, but I can't just bring you water in front of all of these people. Okay, just... I'm sorry. I, done? Okay. I'm, I'm away from you. I'm going. I don't know. Craig, you're like really... Why didn't you bring me water? Well, why are you so special? <laughs> if I'm coughing right there, who's going to bring me water? So if no one's going to bring me water, why should I bring you water? Fair. Okay. I, I respect how you feel. You know, the possible list of motives could probably go on indefinitely, right? Before I started choking, I did say that it was about hidden motives of the heart. All three of these people that brought me water did the same exact thing, but each of them had completely different motives. You know, we had... And we all have different motives for how we live. We're... You know, the question is, why are we doing what we're doing? Again, the actions all look the same, but the heart was different. The first person, he wanted to follow what is right for Jesus, right? He said, I brought you water. I want to do a good work for Jesus. Second person was like following Jesus by doing what was right. He was like, I just love the Lord, and I want you to know that love. So I figured I'd give a chance for God to express his love through me to you. It was about him. You know, the third person just wanted to be noticed, <laughs> which I like. But in that, many people do things for approval. And all these things are good. It's not like they were sinning. But, you know, some people like to give to be seen giving. And even if it's from this place of like, I like to bless people, there is a very fine line between that and doing it not because you're trying to draw attention to Jesus, you're trying to get the attention. Then we have the others that shared and, and you know, why they didn't get the water, right? There was past issues, Maybe performance mentality and like, you know, I'm taking a break from good works because, you know, I come out of performance mentality. So, you know, out of this dysfunctional place of immaturity, I'm just going to just avoid all of them altogether. Then there's some who out of fear, like Sarah here, like, I don't want to be in front of the, I, no, I, I just, I don't want to be seen by people like that. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. Then there's comparison, like, you know, seemingly your favorite with Craig, like, why should you be any different, right? <laughs> it's that place of saying, like, you know, who would do that for me? It's this comparison. It's this, this humanism. And, you know, really the, co the, the concept of motive is central to the gospel. You and Galatians, Paul's argument 
you know, the, it's, it's broken up into three sections. And it's the only letter of Paul that's written to the, a whole group of churches, not just one church. And in it, in the middle two chapters, the, the first two kind of talk about his being an apostle and the, how Galatians is a, has divine origins from God. Second two present this doctrine about, you know, being how the law is inferior to the gospel. And it's to establish the true purpose of the law, to be a tutor, to make us realize how we can't do all the right things we need to do. And so the result is of the law, the purpose was to push us to Jesus because we realize how, how much of a desperate failure we are because it says if you break one law, you are guilty of them all. And that's why the gospel is so good, such good news because it basically says Christ has come to give the full sacrifice for your life. You are set free from sin. You're set free from the curse of sin, which is death. And you have the opportunity to walk in liberty, free, free indeed, knowing that Christ has fully satisfied all of your debt. And he even goes on to say in the practical application of the last two chapters, he's like, and you know, further, don't use this freedom and abuse it and go sinning. So it's this whole concept of if Christ has set you free, then walk in the power of the Spirit to actually live righteously. I'm gonna break this down a little bit, but it's all in motive. And this is what God is after in this season. He's after the motives of our heart. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified, or it's a word for being made right, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh should be justified. Last two chapters, we see, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. So we see right here that we can actually be set free and then choose to walk back in bondage. And this is the key, folks, because, I mean, my hypothesis is here, is that I'll be as daring as saying the majority of the church is still in bondage without knowing it. And this is even, even what's come out in this whole season is how fragile people are to not realize that they are not walking in the power and the freedom that Christ has called us to walk in. We're still choosing bondage because we're turning from the gospel to ourselves. You know, you, you think about this, like when he was talking about stand fast in the liberty, he was speaking of circumcision because back then Judaizers, after the gospel was preached, people were walking in freedom, 
And then people started coming to Paul's disciples and saying, you know, Jews saying, listen, you aren't following the law. You are not going to be accepted by God. You have to be circumcised. You know, and it says that people spied out Timothy, realized he wasn't circumcised and started putting pressure. And at the same time, Paul made Timothy get circumcised so that he wouldn't be a stumbling block. But then later, in his letters, he starts telling people, if you get circumcised, you're going to take the whole burden of the law on your life. It's not going to help you at all. Why did he change? He didn't change. He was being led by the Spirit. He was not coming under this place of, we need to fulfill the law. He was saying, Timothy, we are messengers. Let's just go beyond this and remove this stumbling block, and then we can reach these hearts. It wasn't about, like, coming under a burden. It was about Paul saying, Timothy, we love the Lord. We are not doing this to earn approval or get noticed or anything like that. We're doing this because we love the Lord and we want God to be seen through us. Let's do everything we can. But then there were others with a motive of saying, if I don't get circumcised, I'm not going to be accepted by God. This idea of circumcision relates to all of us today. It's the things we feel we need to do or that we do instead of following Jesus by our good works, we're following good works for the Lord. Do you see the difference there? And I get it. Both don't don't sound too bad, right? You could be following Satan, right? (laughs) But we're talking about a critical issue. If you are following after righteousness for the Lord, you are missing it drastically. And that will lead to burnout. That will lead to going astray and feeling like, oh my gosh, my life is so dry. It seems like such a burden. If you are following Jesus by just doing good works out of this place of love and satisfaction, you don't ever run dry. You don't ever feel like, oh my gosh, more and more, I can't take this. You walk in the maturity of a relationship with Jesus. You are in love with him and it is fresh in your heart. Five sixteen, Galatians says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because the spirit leads you into good works because of this vibrant relationship with him. Huh. Anyone see the difference yet? Yes, no, yes. Who's, who's starting to get it? Like this is common for all of us. We are all slipping back into bondage. Every day that we live, we're slipping back into bondage 
we're forgetting or not realizing who Christ has called us to be. It's sons and daughters led by the Spirit, free from the law, called into serving out of a loving heart because we want to. There's another instance of this in the Bible, a story that so beautifully portrays this truth, okay? It's right out of Luke 18, 18. You all know the story of the rich young ruler. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. How many of you ever saw that before? I didn't. I didn't. I just saw this last week when I was up in Carmel. I was reading and just... This response is going to be a perfect response of love because it came from Jesus, who is perfect. He said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And he was deeply dismayed by these words. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Think about that now, guys. Once you guys say, wow, that wasn't the Lord. That wasn't very life-giving. Jesus himself, the perfect one, literally spoke to him in love, perfect love. And he went away dismayed and grieving. Because it struck at the core of an improper motive. You know, and behind the facade of all this, with this rich young ruler, which his title that was given to him was perfect because he was young in the spirit. He was not mature in the faith. But behind all this strength of doing the commandments, it had lost a lot of security. That's why he was saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't believe in his heart that obeying the commandments would get him into heaven. And he asked Jesus, and it showed that he had lost his delight in God. And he got concerned with his own piety, his own self, and how his self was behaving. And he knew deep down he lost the approval from God. You know, Jesus' response wasn't intended to shame him by exposing the real depth of the commandments, but it was an expression of genuine love, calling him into a place of a true disciple, one who self-sacrifices because of genuine love, a true follower of Jesus. And folks, I'm telling you, God is calling the church out of humanism. Now you're like, humanism? What are you talking about? Well, it's a philosophy, it's a religion in which the human being is central. 
Humanism is where the human is central. Worship of human. The individual, his thoughts, his preferences, his actions, his wisdom dictates how he lives. And Christ is only a compartment, one of the things in this constellation where the human is the center. Galatians 4.19, Paul was concerned about this. He said, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have doubts about you. What was he saying? He was just saying, you have slipped back into bondage from the the gospel I have preached to you. You are free. It's not about you. It's about Christ, remember? It's not about you. It's not about your past and the lies in your head and the bondage and your self-sufficiency. It's about me. Come out of humanism and follow me. My yoke is not heavy. It's not a burden. God's calling the church to make him center. You know, and that's why we, we see in Philippians 3. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, that should be all of us, right? If you, we've said that prayer and we've received the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, what are we doing? We have been raised with Christ, the Bible says. We are new creations. And it says, if that's true, keep Seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And I want you to see here, this is a call for each one of us to choose Jesus we got to choose him. We need to choose him over ourselves every single hour of the day. It's true so that we don't slip back into the bondage of a normal human being. Therefore, treat parts of the earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, dead to impurity, passion, evil desire. And greed, which amounts to idolatry. He's basically saying all this stuff is just idolatry. It's all putting yourself at the center instead of Christ. Your desires, your passions, your... For it is because of these things that the wrath of God's coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked. No longer though, right? When, when you were living in them, but now you... Also, rid yourselves of all of them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you stripped off the old self with all its practices. Folks, you see this? You have a responsibility in this stripping away and putting off old stuff from your life before Jesus. It's daily, daily practice that you don't slip back into that bondage. And some of you kind of like, just think like, well, maybe I need 
some kind of special prayer. Maybe I need, because something's wrong with me, I'm always in this struggle about having to choose the right thing, choose Jesus. Folks, it's called Christian maturity, where we choose to put off these things and take on Christ, keep him the center. Do you know that is, that's my greatest struggle in life. You will never escape the need to fight to place Jesus as the center. To put your thoughts upon him. To choose not to say, I'm going to get my mind messed up in this messy situation and circumstance. I'm going to get caught up in this drama. I can't. I know. Can you believe it? I don't know. Like everything gets worked up. Like like a bunch of hens. Like go, go watch the chickens at the farm. They just like start pecking and instead saying, hey, wait, let's, let's reframe this. Like, what is the Lord saying? I think if we start saying that to everyone who wants to cause drama or get caught up in all these situations, say, oh, wait a minute, I got a great idea. What's the Lord saying? Fathers, like what if we started doing that in our families when everything was like going, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? When everything goes haywire in the house, just say, hey, wait. Let's invite the Lord and let's see what he's saying about this. This isn't some religious thing. This is like the power of the gospel. Keep Christ center. Um, I'll say this, like children, it's not a good thing when your parents are disciplining. You say, hold on, dad. I think it's important we ask the Lord what he's saying now. <laughs> like you got to keep your senses and realize that your obedience unto your parents is worship to God. It's good. And if your parents are saying this, say, humbly, like, you know, you're right. Maybe I need to ask the Lord to come into this situation right now. Because we get all religious and then we, we lose our heads here. Rid yourself, do not lie to one on earth, since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there is no distinction. Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. It doesn't matter who you are, what's your economic situation, what's your race. None of that matters. He's just saying, put off your old self and leave it dead and rise up in the newness that I've called you to. Now this is, some of you I know, because you're not shouting, so that tells me you're not getting it yet. So, okay. So all those who have been chosen by God, you have been chosen by God, holy, beloved, put on, here it is again, choosing, right? You choose to put on godliness. You choose to put on centrality and fascination with Christ. I'm telling you, if we got this, folks, pastoral care and shepherding would diminish by, I bet, 75%. Because it's about us executing self-government and responding out of this heart of love to God and then 
taking authority over our lives and our thoughts and our minds, holding thoughts captives and saying, no, you are a lie. I will not listen to you. I am made in the image of Christ. I'm a new creation, and I will serve the Lord. I will choose to do out of this burning love in my heart. It's true. we got to do it. And he says, put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you must do also. In addition to all these things, put on love. Notice it's not pray for the Lord to pour his love out on your heart. You put on love. Put on love. You've been saved by him 100%, a gift of him, not you. Now you receive the Holy Spirit that breathed life into death, spoke light into darkness, and now that's in you. The Spirit is in you, enabling you to live like you couldn't live before. In addition, put love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called into one body, rule, govern in your hearts the peace of Christ. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ not just dwell, richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ richly Dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness out of your hearts to God. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you couldn't imagine yourself in that place? No, you don't, you've never heard my voice. And I'm like pretty, uh, I'm a Debbie Downer. I'm a, sorry if your name's Debbie. I don't know where that phrase came from. Doug Downer. Sorry if your name's Doug. You know, in summary, how we live, why are we doing what we're doing? That's the big question in our heart. Are you living after the law? Are you following what is right for Jesus? Are you trying to do everything right because you want to do it for the Lord? Or are you following Jesus by doing what's right? Totally different. Jesus is the center, not his rules or righteousness. And this is what this whole like, invitation in February 19th was about. Will you accommodate me? That is what it was. Simplicity is, will you allow me to be the center of your life and attention and affection? That's it. That's it. The simplicity of it. You know, if we continue that story of the rich young ruler, verse 23 after he told him this wonderful, loving statement of sell everything you have, you have one thing lacking. And he went away sad and grieving. He looks to his disciples who are around and said, how hard it will be 
for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus responded again and said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if this happened and you were with Jesus, you would be like the disciples. And they said, with astonishment, then who can be saved? Like they're saying, this is impossible. How can a camel go through a needle? How can someone wealthy not make it? How how can so few people make it? Like, is anyone going to make it to heaven? And then Jesus looked at him and said, with people, it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, folks, this is the key of the gospel right here. With people, it is impossible. It's because with people, they're in bondage. They are centered around themselves. Without God, we are centered around our own efforts, our own human abilities. And I'll tell you, for for those of you who are blessed with tremendous intellect, tremendous capacity. Like you, you're a go-getter. You want to do something, you do it. You can do anything you want. That's, that's a, a God-given confidence. But I will tell you, you are in the most danger of being self-sufficient and self-centered. Because basically your whole life, you want something, you go get it because you're a go-getter. But I'll tell you what, folks, those people, I should say, I feel I'm in that category. My whole life, I've been an overachiever. Anything that I want, I can get because I can work hard. I got it. I got goals, and I achieve those goals. But folks, you know how easy that is to be trapped in humanism? Like saying, oh, whatever we want, we can get Hard work, dedication. It takes extra hard to say, Father, crucify this human being on the cross. Let me make you the center. I make you the center and stay fascinated with him and come out of this place of, I am not going to strive in my own power or depend on myself which I have found to be very dependable. Can you understand what I'm saying? If you can go after things and succeed, you have danger of trusting in that ability. And we need to come to a place of saying, no, Lord, not my will but yours. I am giving myself to you. I want to know what is your heart, what is your will. And I will die. I will diminish. You choose Jesus. You know, and like even with these holiness clubs that we have going on, right? These are are like 22 questions in some of these groups that have just organically happened. People get together and hold each other accountable. 
and it's deep personal assessment, like some of these questions, like, um, you know, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? Am I honest in all my acts and words? Do I confidently pass on to others what has been said to me in confidence? Do I break confidence, personal confidence? Can I be trusted? And am I, am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Did the Bible live in me today? Am I enjoying prayer? Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, self-justifying? Did I disobey God in anything? When did I last speak to someone else about my faith? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Wow. Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? How do I spend my spare time? Am I proud? Do I thank God that I'm not as other people? Do I grumble or complain constantly? Is Christ real to me? Now, you know, this, this kind of introspection, remember what I said about motive, right? Can you see how someone could very easily be legalistic in this atmosphere and centering upon, what do I have to do better? Oh, gosh, and starting to strive about like, oh, man, just writing copious journals of like all the ways you need to improve your life and then being consumed with this, saying, I can do this, okay. But this very practice fueled a whole movement called Methodism to where in their prime, they were planting one church a day on average over 100 years. And you know, how I know that John Wesley was able to avoid this trap of being sucked back into bondage. Because when he was on his deathbed, he didn't start to say, okay, everybody, just try harder. We can do this and live holy before the Lord. It wasn't anything like that. You know what his last dying breath words were? And this really just expresses the heart that was behind all of this introspection. And remember the cups of water. If some of you saw people going through with such energy and fervor, this whole 22 questions with one another, and they're pointing out each other's weaknesses and saying, you know what? Um, I encourage you, I admonish you. Live right before the Lord. Follow after him. Go harder, go harder. Some of you would say, well, that's legalism. Christ has done everything. Well, that's not all true. He's done everything for the cross, but like I said, your motive of saying, Lord, I love you, maintaining love primarily, and putting off everything that draws you into bondage to choose Christ as central, that is your job. Every hour, every minute of the day. And see, if, if John Wesley was consumed about legalism, he wouldn't have died saying, with his last breath, he mustered it up and said, farewell, farewell. The best of all is, God is with us. He lifted his arms and raised his feeble voice again, repeating the words, the best of all is, God is with us. 
That is not a legalistic person. That is someone who was so in love with the Lord and said, Lord, you are central. How can my life express your righteousness, express your goodness to where the final words were, thank you, God, you are with us. The presence of God being with us in our hearts as the motive of everything we do. And I want to leave you with this because in this season, I, I remember my first encounter. If you haven't been to one, you got to go. And I had been in ministry, I believe, like just over 20 years. Full-time ministry. Giving myself to the Lord, the work of the Lord, the scripture. And I remember the first encounter, I was there, and it was in the cross section. And it was in this cross section um, that I just saw this vision. And you know, a lot of vulnerable sharing. People that were leaders in the church were sharing things like their testimony of being pulled out of homosexuality. And I'm like, oh my God, you can't share that. You And my mentality was keep those things to yourself. You can just die with those things. And I had things in my life that I was gonna die with, secrets all that and I remember just like being horrified that people were being so transparent and sharing their stuff and then in this cross section I had this vision it was one of the most powerful visions of my life and in it Jesus was there bare-chested like he was on the cross and I saw this whole scene and I remember going up to him and saying you are so strong after watching you know the the um, passion of Christ, that whole cross scene where he's dying. And, and he was there with me and I was just, I, I just started weeping at this encounter. And I looked and I, I threw myself into his chest and said, you are so strong. You've done so much. I will do anything for you. And I remember in tears, I'm weeping like in this vision of in the chest of Jesus saying, you're so strong, I'll do anything and I remember him, his words, he spoke so clearly. He said, I won't receive any of it. And I went, but Lord, you've done so much for me. I, I want to just give you everything. And he says, I won't receive any of it. I have done everything without anything from you. I don't need your strength. I don't need your goodness. I don't need your good works. I have sacrificed completely for you. And I remember crying even more. I'm like, and I'm giving him everything and he won't even take that. You know, like thinking, like this God is so outrageously good and unfair. And then I just, he just encouraged me. I want you to just be with me and love me. And that changed my life because for those 20 years of being raised up in ministry and trained in ministry, I was trained, never let your hair down in front of the sheep. Sheep bite. That's what my old pastor said. You know, and, and all that's true, right? Sheep do bite. Be vicious. Ask Stephanie how many times, you know, she's been butted and bitten by those things. Vile creatures. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
And all that is true, but you know, that's not how we live here. We're very transparent and authentic and genuine and open. And it's because we've been set free. And we have to choose every day to walk in that freedom with Christ at the center. That's the biggest lie. It's a lie of self-preservation. Like, don't let your hair down. Don't let people see who you really are. Folks, that's called bondage. It's called facades. It's called fake, inauthentic, not real. That's what the rich young ruler had. He knew it too, deep down in his heart. God wants to bring you into a new way of life. You know, and I love, I love the ending, what he told his disciples who were all just standing around going, how can anyone make it to heaven? And Jesus said, oh, that's because with people it's impossible. No human can possibly make it to heaven. No one, not one. Yet with God, all things are possible because Christ has made a way. He gave the complete sacrifice for you and then said, I don't want you to conform your behavior. I want you to just love me. Be fascinated by me. Be consumed by me. Make me center. And then out of that place, you're enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God that I placed in you to live and do all things. All things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The emphasis isn't on how much achievement as much as it is willingness to allow Christ's power to sustain you in any situation, to live above circumstances, to do things that you couldn't humanly possibly do. How much of the church is living in this place? Not many. Not much. Maybe for spurts. But listen, folks, I want to challenge you today. I want to call people, starting with the men, the, the heads of the households, to rise up and walk in supernatural empowerment by God that impossibilities become possible. I'll tell you, it starts with you choosing Jesus. Choosing Jesus in every situation, every minute of the day, saying, God, you are center. Show yourself mighty in my behalf. Show yourself, Lord. Let me live above human abilities. Father, I pray for the outpouring of your spirit in this place. Lord, upon us, upon the men, upon the women, upon the children and the teenagers and the young adults, Lord God, place a determination in their hearts to say yes to you, to accommodate you, to let you rise up in their hearts and live through them, to plead through them, to pray through them. Lord, we pray that there would be a demonstration of impossible things happening every day around the clock because people are saying yes to you. We choose to let our old self remain dead we choose to walk in the identity that you have given us as sons and daughters of God who are called above circumstances, above sin, above trials, above human isms. Father, let this day be a, day be a fresh season of outpouring. 
strengthen, pour out, sweep over our hearts and minds, sweep over our families, God. Let this be the start of a whole new season, Lord God. I pray you release affections. We choose those affections. We choose the affections of the new self. We choose the affections of the new man. Father, I pray you make baptism so real to all those who have been baptized that it would be rekindled in hearts, that people would rise up and say, I remember the day I was baptized and my old self stayed under that water and I splashed out of the water with tears, just thanking God for what he's done. Let that come alive, come refreshed in hearts and minds that people would walk in that same instance every day, every moment of their lives, Father. Come on, let's respond to God today.